Welcome to Ascend and Transcend. I'm your coach, Elizabeth. And today we are going to talk about how men can be better allies for women in the workplace, a topic that is very near and dear to my heart. And I'm sure yours as well. If you're listening to the show, my guest is Dr. David Smith, who is a former Navy pilot and currently the associate professor in the John Hopkins Carey School of Business. He co-wrote with Brad Johnson, this, this book, Good Guys, How Men Can Be Better Allies for Women in the Workplace. He also co-wrote Athena Rising, How and Why Men Should Mentor Women. And you guys, he's one of the few that just gets it. Um, I stumbled across his book and I started listening to it and wow, I mean, within the first paragraph, I was totally hooked. Um, I love their approach to why, you know, there should be equality in the workplace for men and women and it's all research-based. So it isn't just we feel this way or we want this or we should get this. It's all based in study and research and statistics. And so I love it. And I think that he's got a really neat, unique perspective being ex-military and really seeing on the forefront, like what the disparities are in equality in not only the military, but in corporate America. So I had a lot to learn from him. I was psyched when he agreed to be a guest and we got into all of the ways that men can be better allies for women in the workplace. But I also think it's our job as women to really hold men accountable to doing these these things, right? And helping educate them from a place of compassion and assuming good intent. So I hope you really enjoy our conversation. I loved every minute of it. David, thank you so much for being on the show today. I know that our listeners are going to get just a wealth of insight and knowledge from you. Both of your books, specifically right now, the one that I am just rereading over and over again is Good Guys, How Men Can Be Better Allies for Women in the Workplace. I think that this is so great that you and Brad are the people that are carrying out this message, specifically you, a Navy man. I want to ask about some of your background to maybe in the military and if that had any any kind of like momentum behind bringing this cause to the light and being a champion for women in the workplace. But first off, I would love to just hear a little bit more about your background. How did you get from being a Navy pilot to working as an associate professor at John Hopkins to being an author of these types of books? Yeah, great question. And thanks again for having me here on the podcast. Great to be here with all your listeners today. And yeah, my journey, it did start actually in the Navy. And at one point later in my career, I had the opportunity to be part of a program called the Permanent Military Professor Program, where senior officers go back and get to go back to grad school, earn their PhDs, and then go back and be full-time professors at their service academy. So for me at the Naval Academy in Annapolis. And so I did that. And and that's where as a sociologist, I've focused all of my research in the area of the intersection of gender, work, and family. Initially looking at dual career families and looking at the gendered nature of career paths within organizations, the retention of women in different professions and industries out there, bias and performance evaluations. And then today, of course, we're focused around inclusive mentoring, sponsoring, and and allyship. But a lot of that journey, it it started around this book, actually the book before with Athena Rising, our first book together. But with my my good friend and co-conspirator and colleague at the Naval Academy, Brad Johnson, and Brad's a clinical psychologist by training. And I think one of the things we noticed early on in our collaboration and work together was a connection, both in personal experiences in the workplace and around the military, but 
but also in terms of our research and overlap in our research. And I think that was what kind of spurred us on as we began to look at various inequities we see in the workplace. And there's, and there's a lot of them, but we were focused on more around career development, career development resources like mentoring and sponsoring. And, and really, how do we engage everybody in being a part of the solution? And it was really challenging to find places where, where men were engaged around gender equity issues specifically. And a lot of that we found was just the way these things are framed. And often the solutions are from organizations are, hey, we're going to have a, a women's leadership program or a women's right. sponsoring program. And men often look at that and go, well, that's not for me. And so what's my role? What's my function? And they don't engage. And so they stay on the sideline and don't. And we, it's a little frustrating that we have those kind of unintended consequences where men don't see a place for them there. So our, a lot of our work is really designed to engage men, get them off the sideline, get them involved in the conversations, begin to develop awareness and understanding and then how they can be part of the solution, whether that's from a mentoring and sponsoring perspective or a broader allied perspective. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting with the military background because I coach women in high achieving positions and a handful of them have been veterans. And they've had their own experiences. And I, you know, to be frank with you, David, they haven't been great. And there's a whole chapter in my book around one specifically that was definitely would fall under like the Me Too movement, right? I mean, she was assaulted. So I think that the source of this information and the advocacy is so important. And I think it makes it more powerful and more credible coming from you. So do you feel like this is your calling? Yeah, I think it's one of those where you don't always intend and, and have it very, very purposely planned out. But I think for me, it was a lot of the experiences I had around the military and early on in my career. Full disclosure, my my partner, my wife was a, also a Naval Academy grad, classmate of mine, and we had parallel careers in the military. And obviously had a lot of conversations at home about our experiences. And, and guess what? Her experiences were very different from mine. And it was always eye-opening to hear the challenges she was facing, the things that I just never experienced. So it was really eye-opening for me and in a way that helped me to go then think about, all right, well, where, do, where are these things happening in my own workplace, in my own organizations? And going back in and looking at those and finding the same connections, same overlaps there. And the, the other part of it is that this, the timing of my, of when I was in the military overlapped with a lot of the gender integration changes that happened. And, and certainly as a, in naval aviation, we saw the, the, the integration of women in 1993 after the combat exclusion law had changed and we, we started integrating women. So the, my, my second squadron was the first squadron in my community that integrated women. So I was there for that and a part of it to see how that happened. My next, my next tour was on the very first aircraft carrier, the Eisenhower, that integrated women. So again, seeing how that was done in a different environment. How was that? It was there. It was a bumpy road. I think everybody looked at it as as a success. There was a lot of lessons learned, much like we we found in a lot of places. And but I think one of the things that I learned, I think across the board with the military, is that we're really good about no surprise about putting procedures or regulations in place, putting boundaries on things that are, are fine and we need those. Those are needed. But I look at those as really kind of that, that's the minimum, the minimum bar that we right. needed to really begin the integration. What we really needed were conversations and understanding and education about how it was going to change the workplace and how interactions were going to shift and change and what and ways that we could be thinking about that as leaders and managers in our organizations. And, you know, Largely, that didn't happen until more recently. And now I think they're really getting on board with doing more of that. And I applaud the military for doing that. But 
it's taken a long time to get there. Well, I think they kind of have to now. I mean, there's more pressure. There's more visibility. There's more eyes on it. There's more people who feel empowered to speak out. And I know that your the book, Good Guys, isn't necessarily like built on this Me Too movement, but we just had the five-year anniversary of Me Too back in October. And there was just a statistic that came out that said roughly 46% of men feel like since the increased focus on sexual harassment and assault, it's made it harder for them to know how to interact with women in the workplace. So we've heard of this, the backlash of Me Too, not her. And I've definitely experienced some of that as well. Once that happened, it was right when I was exiting my corporate America job, but you weren't invited on overnights as much. You weren't invited out. You weren't even invited on the golf outings that I really didn't even want to go to. And it wasn't because these were bad guys. I love what I love about good guys, too, is it's like we have to assume good intent. I think there's just a lack of awareness or there's a lack of tools, mm -hmm. which is wonderful. The book outlined six, 60 different tactical tools that you can do, which is wonderful. I can't say enough about it. I think your book, Eve Rodsky's book, Fair Play and Matthew Frey's This is How Your Marriage Ends were like the three books this year that I feel like totally changed my perspective, my life and so many of my clients. And so that's why it's so great to have you here. But have you seen that as well in your research as far as like the, the backlash of Me Too and everybody kind of feeling like, they're grilling men right now. Like I've heard that from a handful of guys that they just feel like avoidance is their best tactic. Definitely. Yeah. And a lot of the organizations and companies that we work with, we hear lots of examples of that and how prevalent it is. And I think it always surprises me and Brad when we hear this from men about how prevalent it still is. And, and there's some research getting ready to be published that, again, confirms the same, roughly the same statistic you just gave us there about how men are still afraid to you know, to have a lot of these more private interactions. So a closed door meeting, right? Almost 50% of men still are, are not willing or feel comfortable doing that. And it goes on and on, right? With the travel, mentoring relationships, you name it, having lunch, whatever the case might be. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's frustrating to see that this is what's going on out there. And the other, the other part of it that I think that continues to perpetuate this, that we we've heard in, and we heard in our own research is that as they talk about the experiences around Me Too and what they what they perceive going on in the workplace and how they perceive their female colleagues is is such that it it drives some of these false narratives that somehow it perpetuates that women are somehow suddenly scary or dangerous to work with that women perpetuate that you know are going to um, make a lot of these false accusations about sexual harassment and yes there are some anecdotal experiences of that but. Largely, the evidence shows that that's not the case, right? It isn't out there in any large numbers. And so, but we continue to perpetuate that. And so we, one of the things as allies, I think we have to do is begin to, to push back and own that narrative and, and make sure that we're, we're remembering that what Me Too was all about. And that was so that women could come to work and not be harassed or assaulted. I mean, it's a really low bar for dudes out there that we can. We can do a lot better than this. Well, the statistics show too that like not everybody's on board with it. I'm like, how are you not on no. like how are you not on board with having a safe work environment for women of any or or any gender that you identify with coming in? I wonder too how that role, David, of like it's much more outspoken and visible now about the lack of wanting to identify as a certain gender. What new crop of bias? Is that going to really kind of like cement in our workplace culture? Have you guys, have you and Brad had any conversations about that? 
And we, we see a lot of this, again, kind of building within the workplace. But one of the things that's interesting, and I think there's some really interesting research that goes with this, is that no surprise that we're, as we be, continue to diversify the workplace, which is a good thing, it's good for for everyone coming in and the diversity we're bringing in, it's, and it's good for the organization, clearly. It's good for men, too, especially majority right. men, right? They become... Yeah. They become better in a variety of different ways. There's a lot of benefits there. One of them is from, from since we're focusing kind of on the leadership side of this, that, that they become better leaders, right, by engaging in this conversation around understanding and understanding gender identities and what they mean and the interactions and the behaviors, what's, what's expected, what's acceptable, what's not, and, and really beginning to leverage that through their own learning and curiosity in the workplace. And it makes them more empathetic. It allows them to become a little more authentic and and having better relationships in the workplace. So then having a little more vulnerability as well in terms of what they know or don't know and, it, and realizing that, hey, it's okay to, to, to not have all the answers here, that you can be learning about this as well. We're, nobody's perfect. And certainly as leaders, we, we want to surround ourselves with lots of people with lots of different experiences so that we can become better. And I think that's what the research is showing us is that the people are making it to the highest levels of leadership today are much more likely to have those traits and those qualities because they are engaged in these conversations. They do believe in gender diversity or all forms of diversity out there and are busy learning it. And they're busy trying to including it as part of who they are every every single day. Well, I love that you called that out because I couldn't agree more. I think the vulnerability piece is huge. And to be able to say, I had a client who her boss came up to her and he's like CEO of a huge company. And he said, um, you know, I don't know if I can hug you. Like they had seen each other in yeah. the office and they hadn't seen each other in a long time. And this is a 15 year relationship, working relationship that they've had. And she said, of course you can. But I love that he, that he, I love that he didn't know. And he said mm -hmm. that, I think you're going to be hard pressed to feel like somebody's avoiding you, if they're just really authentic like that. I think some thoughts we need to put through a filter before we say out loud. But I think one like that of, can I say that I like your dress? Or can I say this or that? I think it's fine because with each person, you're probably going to have to establish some boundaries of what they're comfortable with and what they're not comfortable with. But I think to your point, what's really a disservice to everyone is to just avoid her then when she's in the office because you don't know if you can hug her and it's going to be awkward. Like that is the one thing we shouldn't be doing. And I do feel I'm married to a white cis male and I think, and he's managed teams of women pretty frequently. And he has me as a sounding board to ask, but even he sometimes will say something that later he'll feel like, you know, he'll regret. Maybe that was inappropriate or maybe I made her feel a certain way or put her on the spot. But I think just having those conversations and then afterwards saying, hey, I'm sorry if that's, that wasn't my intent. I think this piece of assuming good intent is like if we could all just have that be our North Star and have these conversations, I think women are going to be brought into the room more. They are going to be included more and they are going to be more attractive mentees to men in leadership positions. And I, I think you bring up a great point in that also that is that in your in your your partner's perspective is being able to to for somebody to give that feedback to them, right? right. Again, whether the assumption of good intent we provide feedback to people about, hey, when you said that today, it really kind of hurt my feelings or it wasn't, I didn't find it appropriate, it offended me, whatever the case might've been and explain why, but to provide that feedback to him in a way that, you know, again, shows that you care. I'm, I'm providing this feedback today to you because 
I care. If I didn't care about you, I wouldn't spend the time to tell you. But because I care, I, I'm providing that. So you, you can become better. And I think there's a, again, I think there's a concern today in our kind of cancel culture that we have that we can't make a mistake. And so again, in lieu of making a mistake, what do I do? I avoid. In the same way that Me Too and, and lack of understanding, lack of awareness, lack of experience around different kinds of relationships, people have anxiety about those. I mean, we found that in the research we did for our first book that a lot of men avoided having mentoring relationships with women because they had anxiety about what that was going to be like. And so, or that they would make a mistake or, or you know, these fears that they had. And, and so they just avoid. And that's, that's a normal response, unfortunately, to an abnormal situation. Do you think that it's swinging the other way, though, too, where women are avoiding having men as their mentees? Because I can just say, again, from like my vast pool of clients, I won't say their names, but one is getting ready to be promoted to CEO. And there is a C-suite position now, a COO position available. And she said to me, we were talking through this in her session, and she said, I really want it to be a woman, but there just isn't anybody right now. And there's this guy that's basically been groomed for the position for seven years under me. But, you know, he's just, she said, he's a white hetero guy. I just don't want to give it to him. I feel like as a woman, I should be finding another woman. And she's, it's discriminatory, right? But she was acknowledging those feelings. But I'm wondering now too, are we going to get some data that shows that women, once we get to those leadership positions, maybe having some gender bias against mentoring men or backfilling certain high level positions with men? You know, it's interesting on the, on the mentoring side of that question, we, we don't see that we're, yeah. because we do see a lot of men are being mentored by women, which is a good thing because yeah. it, it's one of these solutions to, to all of the challenges we're having in the workplaces. We need more interaction and we need more interactions in ways that are more developmental and having more developmental relationships. And men, I mean, there are just so many benefits to having a female mentor. And I would just say more broadly, having a network of mentors who are different from you. And right. in, in so many different ways. And I know the same goes for me. I have, I have a female mentor and I learned a lot from her over the years and things that I would not have gotten, would not have had from, from a male mentor necessarily. It could have been, but in many cases, I don't think so. So I think there's great advantages to, to that continuing. And I, I don't, I haven't seen it shift a whole lot. Now back to the promotions and recommendations for jobs and hiring and those things. Yeah, I mean, we do see some of that. There are there are examples of that. And I think there's a large group of men out there today in the workforce that that see it and feel it too and are concerned that they are losing ground, losing opportunity and, and feeling that way. And I think that this, these are conversations that we've, we've got to begin having and back to, again, how can, we, how can we leverage and value diversity at the same time, make sure that performers of all kinds are, are out there being pushed forward? What would you say is like the most popular or number one question or obstacle that you get when you're doing in-person work with, with certain companies or groups of men? Is there kind of like one common thing that everybody can say, yes, that's affecting me as well. And I don't know how to handle it. I don't know if there's one common, one common thing. I would say some of the more common things that they come up tend to be things around this idea. We, we would kind of largely put in the category of zero sum thinking. In other words, for, for women to advance or people of color to advance in my organization, somehow I'm losing and not recognizing that there are, there are great benefits for everyone when we diversify the organization. And so that zero-sum thinking does tend to pervade a lot more and especially a lot more traditionally male 
historically male dominated organizations and industries out there. So the zero sum thinking is certainly one of those that, that comes up over and over again. Yeah. One thing that I really love that you incorporated in Good Guys with Brad is this idea that it starts at home, right? The equality starts at home. And obviously Fair Play was a great resource for that as well. And so do you feel like if men are more involved at home, and we actually do see that statistics show as well, that with remote work, men being home more, they are taking on more of the household duties and they are spending more time with their children, which is a benefit for everyone. But I would love for you to expand a little bit more on why you see such a tight correlation between there being equal opportunities in the workplace and a better understanding for the, the need for women in leadership, as well as men being able to be a supportive partner at home. Yeah, and this is great. Just a wonderful topic, and we love love to spend more time on it. And it, but one of the things that, that comes out in this that's really, I think, law sometimes is in, in this whole conversation about creating, creating gender equity in the workplace is that, you know, for the last 50, 60 years, women have flocked into the workplace and in, in just huge numbers, which is great, but men have not flocked back into the home. Right. So there, there has been an increase in the amount of domestic responsibilities and caregiving and some of that that goes on as we look at time use studies for hours. And so it has increased for, for dads. It's also increased for moms. So the gap has narrowed a little bit. So it has gotten better, but not significantly. And a large part of that is because when you look at the advances we've made in gender equity at work, it's largely been at the cost of women having to assimilate themselves into a workplace that really wasn't designed for them. It was designed for men and to do men's work around men's schedules. And it was designed for a, if, if it ever existed, a nuclear family, right? Of, right. of having a, a, a husband breadwinner, a stay-at-home wife, and not a partner, but a wife who was staying at home. And, and that, that is not the norm in our society. We are, we are dual career, dual earner families today is the norm. Everybody, everybody works and we're not, we're not designed for that in the workplace. So the workplace is not, we've made some small changes around the edges. We haven't made that transformational change to the workplace yet. And largely that's because there hasn't been the pressure, we think, from men. The more that men are doing this at home, the more pressure it's going to put on the workplace and organizations to begin changing significantly. And we see that because men who are more egalitarian, more equal and equitable in terms of, of being good partners and parents at home doing their fair share, it changes their behavior. And we it absolutely does. Yeah. And so, and, and what's really interesting is there's some great research out of Boston College at their Center for Work and Family, Brad Harrington's group, that when you look at millennials and, and new parents out there, especially dads, over 60% of them want egalitarian relationships. They want that equal partnership with their, and they want to be more involved, engaged dads at home. Yeah. About half of that 60% is figuring out how to do that. In many ways, they're making significant compromises in their work and they're fi or finding employers down, they're downshifting a little bit to, to find the balance, the type of relationship they want. The other half or what Brad calls, the, Brad Harrington calls the conflicted dads. And I think this is the, the group out there that we need to pay attention to, to a large extent, because they're feeling the same thing that women have felt for a long time. It's like, I want this, but I can't get it. I'm not, I'm not feeling it. And so performance is suffering. Uh, we see that. And, and it's not just performance at work. It's also performance at home. And it's also health. 
And so it gets to mental health issues, physical health issues, all of that's kind of wrapped up in there. And of course, you know, it has the longer term issues with relationships with children and children's outcomes as well. So there's a lot that we're missing and losing because this large group of, of dads out there aren't able to do it. Imagine what if we change the workplace so that 60%, almost 70% could actually do this in the way that they want. And we could have that more, again, equitable it's never equal, but an equitable distribution because it shifts and changes over time where we are in our, our careers, where we are in our life stage. And as the more traditional dads who tend to be of an older generation, as they begin to become fewer and fewer, this is going to be the norm. This is the workplace that's going to survive. It's going to be the workplace of the future. Well, you read my mind because I was just about to say my question, my next question to you was, should we be hopeful? Do we have to wait for generations of people to die out before there's any hope that this leadership gap and there will be an equitable distribution of opportunities and wages to women in the workplace? But I love that you came with that, that research and those findings, because I feel that way, too. I do feel like the tide is turning. I feel like women are being more outspoken about what they need and what they want. I do feel like for a long time and, and being part of the demographic of working moms who just kept it moving. You know, you maybe complain to your girlfriends about it on the weekend over a glass of wine, but you almost, there was a, a bit of a martyrdom, right? Of like, I can do it all and watch me. This superwoman thing. I don't want to be superwoman. I don't want to sacrifice my health, physical and mental, so that I can say I do it all. I don't want to do that. And I think more women are coming forward and saying, this is not all it's cracked up to be. Even with holidays coming up, right? I told my husband, I'm like, I'm not buying gifts for your family anymore. Like, you can take that back. Like there's just these little things, right? I don't need to be the person who's in charge of everything all the time. And so I feel like you say too, with men, we kind of have to clean up our side of the street too, right? Like it can't just be women going into leadership groups every once in a while and figuring it out for themselves. But I think women, we have to take accountability for some of this as well, at least at home too, where I think we really have to engage willing partners because I do think, like the title of the book, there's a lot of good guys out there. And a lot of times they just they just need a little bit of support. They need a little bit of direction as to what it is you need. What is your biggest drain that's happening right now? And how can I, if I can't stop that drain, can I fill with some love or some extra things that I need on the top? But I think books like this, Good Guys and Athena Rising, are my gosh, we need so many people to read these books. And I love the work that you and Brad are doing. I personally appreciate it. I know all of the female listeners of this show do as well. So please keep up the good work. And that's my last question. Should we be hopeful? Do you feel like the tide is turning fast enough for us to see it in our lifetime? We are. Brad, Brad and I are hopeful. And we actually, as we're working on our next book project, we think there's a way to do this within the next generation. And I think that's the goal in our mind is that we need to quit accepting that it's going to take 100 or 200 years to, to create this equity in various places in the work and workplace that we could actually do this in a generation if we focus on how it, how it interacts with family and, and home, right? And changing the workplace in a, to a way that works for everybody. And in leveraging what we've learned from women and these men that are doing it out there today, there are workplaces, there are a lot of great best practices out there right now that are being instituted at various levels and it, and it differs. It differs by the size of your organization. It might by the industry or the mission, the type of sector that you're in. So they, it's not a one size fits all. And I think that, again, there's a lot of just 
fear from employers about, oh, it's going to cost money and it's going to, it's going to break us. It's going to, it's going to make us fail in some way out there. And I, I know that there are companies that are doing it and doing it really well. And so we're looking forward to, to bringing that together and bringing a toolkit back to, again, to the workplace and to, for the, for the men who are doing this work and how they can do this and partnering and collaborating with their partners at home and with the women at work to, to really finally achieve this within the next generation. Well, thank you for such an inspired conversation today. Everybody grab Athena Rising and good guys, David G. Smith. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for the efforts as a woman, as a mom, just as a human. Thank you for everything that you're doing. This absolutely is your calling. You're so good at it. Your passion comes through in your voice. And you guys, what's great about these books too, this is a great gift for men in your life. It's all research-based. Like it's not just, I feel this or I feel that. That's what I really loved about this. I felt like the delivery of this information was so fact-based and to your point, it really paints the picture for employers that this is beneficial to the bottom line. This actually helps everybody. So thank you again for doing all the hard work. And can you at least tell us a little bit about what the next book is going to be about, what the concept is? Yeah, it's, so it, it really is about these, we think of as kind of gender equitable men, right? These men that are already, who want this and are doing it to some extent at home and how they're doing it at work and, and how they're pushing the, the boundaries and the limits of this and how that's going to change the workplace. And, and how we're all, some of the things we already see and how the workplace is changing and how we can accelerate that so that we can get to gender equity in the workplace. And again, it's going to start yeah. with how men are doing this at home and we've got to support the, the home side so we can create equity for everyone at work too. Okay. You promise to come back on when it comes out? Happy to do that. Okay. Thanks for including me. Thank you, David.